Welcome back to another episode of the Sounder at Heart podcast. I am Jeremiah O'Shan. I'm Mark Kastner. This is the Sounder at Heart podcast. Joined by my co-hosts, Mickey Turner, Susie Rantz, Tim Foss, Beth Mantle, and Dave Clark. This has been an extremely weird podcast. How are they going to be able to handle that? Just the bottom line is they don't have an answer to that. There was never really a time when I was super concerned. Seattle did fine. There's a reason they got signed to first team contract. Very special guest, Brian Spencer, head coach of the Seattle Sounder. You know who he is. Brian how are you doing? I'd start off, Jeremiah, by saying one thing, and this isn't my quote. I have to attribute this to Tom Dutra. He always says, tough times don't last, tough people do. Welcome back to another episode of the Sounder Art Podcast. I'm joined, uh, I'm Jeremiah Shan, and I'm joined today by Sam Spiller. Did I get a Spiller. Spiller. Spiller, damn Spiller. it. Spiller. <laughs> I know. I was like, it's, I was like, yeah. oh, I should have gone over this again with him last time. I think I nailed it this time. I botched it. So Spiller uh, of Stumptown Footy, uh, welcome back to the show. We thanks. it's not been that long since we've talked, but it's yeah. always good to have you on. <laughs> yeah, thanks for having me back on. I, I have a lifetime of much worse botchings of the last. Oh, OK, good. to go off of that. That wasn't even close. And that's probably how a certain segment of the global population would pronounce it, which is probably more quote unquote correct. But <laughs> Okay. No, the correct way is the way you say to pronounce it. <laughs> there you go. That's true. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Thanks for having me back. Uh, yeah. So the big game, Sounders, Timbers, I don't know. These all feel like big games whenever the Sounders and Timbers play, but I don't know. I, I, I struggle to remember the last time that they were both fighting for like the same playoff spot. Like it's not like they're both fighting for playoff positioning. It's like, no, right now it's, it's kind of about the number seven spot. The winner is uh maybe wins the prize of ending the week in a playoff spot uh the loser has a has a has a little bit more of a hill to climb and a point uh, if they draw i mean i suppose that that might work out for both of them but this this feels like a, a big game uh either way uh what what's the attitude in in portland right now right yeah i think i agree with everything you said it's it's such an interesting the, like I think we've chatted on this podcast before of how these t- Portland and Seattle always meet at very interesting times in their season. It always kind of feels like some sort of like crossroads or some sort of like pivotal yeah, moment. exactly. Um, and yeah, and this is kind of the next iteration where yeah, usually it is one team is usually above the other in the standings. Historically, usually it's been Seattle above Portland, and Portland trying to kind of fight up to it. But now both teams kind of mired in this just like battle royale in the Western Conference. Um, I I think it does add, obviously, you know, above from the normal Portland-Seattle rivalry stakes, I think it adds a little bit more stakes too. I think the general attitude towards this game, you know, the build-up to it in the past couple weeks, Portland fans always have the circle on their calendar. Um, Now, in the wake of Portland's, you know, their face plant in Sporting Kansas City last weekend when they lost 4-1, to um, now people are like, oh, great bad loss and now we have to play Seattle on somewhat short rest coming up to it as well so I think confidence in Portland's form has eroded quite a bit over the past three or four weeks um they're winless in their last five, five games yeah winless in their last five lost two straight over the course of their last two games they conceded seven goals um which you know that's not the form that you want to be going into a rivalry game with that being said this rivalry has been defined by form don't matter. <laughs> especially, yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> especially more so than, away. 
like yeah. you 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 know it's it's funny there's obviously the old adage you throw the records out the window but man when it seems like when it's the sounders and timbers play you really can do that and you can really throw home form out the window because right. these two teams are engaged in a rather hilarious i would say uh battle of inability to win their home games in this rivalry i just saw a story that ran i think it was in one of the portland tv stations websites or something but they randomly they they someone some some research organization must have submitted this to them and they had this really detailed look at the way the uh sounders and timbers have uh gone against form in the home games and how it like on a global scale it's really a rare thing for two teams to have gone back and forth and trading road wins like this and you and there's like a basically two there's i think there's like two series in germany that are even more lopsided towards the road team than this one has been over such a long period of time but it's it is a real outlier in in competitive soccer in the world not just in mls but this is this is a strange one and of course the timbers were able to continue that uh form of road dominance earlier this year when they scored a rather resounding 3-0 win although maybe the the scoreline may have been a little uh, misleading since two of the goals came pretty late after the Sounders were down a man, but still uh, a 3-0 win historically unheard of for the Timbers in Portland in Seattle, and uh, I think it equaled the biggest ever margin for victory the Timbers have had over the Sounders, yeah, uh, and definitely the biggest ever in Seattle. But yet, uh, the, the it didn't really it did like the Sounders form took a definite dive after the game. The Sounders have not really recovered uh, form wise. Uh, the Timbers briefly had a nice blip, but like you said, five straight winless, two straight losses by uh, where their defense looked very suspect. Uh, I guess what is is there any talk of this home road thing going on in 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 uh, Portland right now? I think it's more of just something that, like you said, fans look at and just laugh because it's ridiculous at this yeah, point it, with everything. And I think it, if anything, it makes you normally when you welcome your biggest rival into your house. Normally you're, you're, you're energized, you're excited. You're like ready to, you know, make their lives hell for however long it's going to be. But now there's that added doubt of like, Hey, we're going to try, but Portland hasn't won against Seattle at home in quite some time. (laughs) And like the last time Seattle came to Portland, I think people are still (laughs) getting over that and kind of healing from the scars from the six two last year. Um, Right. So I think it's, it's kind of caused maybe a little bit of doubt to creep into it, but, but, but more than anything, I think it just kind of help adds to just kind of like the general fire. And like, just, I think, I think there is like a real urgency among Timbers fans, especially as, you know, Portland has kind of cooled a little bit and the season is kind of falling into like this, you know, toss up of who's going to come out on top in the playoff spots. I think it's added some of kind of this urgency of, you know, Timbers fans thinking towards Seattle and thinking like, okay, this is an opportunity for the Timbers to really kind of have a good year over the Sounders with, you know, notching, you know, two wins in the series, also winning the Cascadia Cup, like having that, like being able to have that kind of like regional dominance for a year, I think is something that would help kind of raise Timbers fans spirits a little bit, obviously, but, but, but more so with this year, with, with this being kind of such a kind of stop start season for Portland, having something to kind of like hang their hat on and point to as, you know, okay, we, at least they got this right for this season. I think it's something that fans are yearning for. Yeah. You bring up the Cascadia cup. This is, I think the Timbers would clinch the Cascadia cup uh, with a tie. Uh, right. They would be four points up on the Sounders with, well, they, 
Yeah, I'm pretty sure that would clinch it for him. Uh, I'd have to go back and check, but for sure they would definitely finish ahead of the Sounders if they if they at least get a tie in this one. Is that you know that's it's been a while since the Timbers have won the Cascadia Cup. Yeah. I don't know. Is that is that a is that something that you would imagine would be celebrated as a as a significant achievement? I definitely think so. Like I think right, first time since 2017, so it's been over you know five years since they've won it. Um, I, I think it, it's something that like I think we've talked about last time, it feels like the rivalry has kind of moved on to bigger trophies, quote yeah. unquote, talking about it. And it's still the regional one. It's the one you get to bust out whenever your rival comes to town. You get to hold it up there, right? Like that's something that Timbers fans haven't been able to do for quite some time. Um, it, I think it does matter. And I think it would be a nice, the Portland Timbers under Giovanni Savarese have definitely not been the model of consistency when you think about an MLS team, when you think about kind of those teams that are, you know, regular contenders. It's funny because Portland has been in the thick of the conversation more often than not towards the tail end of the season, making MLS Cup twice in the past, the MLS Cup final twice in the past three years, winning MLS is back. So they're a competitive team that can win, but it always seems that they do so on the back of kind of a last gasp, like rapid kind of, you know, emotional, like high, like high speed run at the end of the season. So I think while fans enjoy that while it's happening, you know, benefiting from it is, is always a plus. I think they want, I think they, they want their team to be seen as more consistent. And so being able to compete for something like the Cascadia Cup, while it is just between three teams would reflect some of that consistency from the team and kind of, you know, be a nice kind of um, like rubber stamp moment for Giovanni Savarese. He hasn't won the Cascadia Cup since he's been in charge in Portland. Um, and I think he, he recognizes the importance of it to the fans, to the community. And I think being able to win it would be a good moment for the for the fans and it could be a, a rejuvenating revitalizing moment for for the timbers as a team who are you know like like we talked about with the form kind of trending in the wrong direction as the playoff race is kind of beating up well let's dig into that uh recent form a little bit uh we mentioned winless in five they've given up 13 goals uh for a team that i i don't think was necessarily bad defense i didn't think of as bad defensively but really has been exposed. Uh, they've given up three goals three times in this in this four game or in this five game run, uh, and then the other two games were were one one draws at home. Uh, I don't know what is there. Does something change defensively? It seemed like uh, maybe like I know they're they were overperforming xga by a lot uh, for much of the season. I don't. I suspect that's not quite the case anymore. Uh, I don't know what what do you make of that. Yeah, I think I think the underlying numbers are, you know, not the greatest. They're not, I think, as lopsided as they were maybe going into 2021 to the playoffs when they had some of the worst XGA numbers, but they were buoyed by good goalkeeping. It's been a similar sort of story this year for Portland with their, you know, they've discovered that Ayaz Ivicic, he's a really solid keeper. His numbers are putting up are very similar to what Steve Clark put up last year. And Steve Clark was pretty widely viewed as like, a like one of like the upper tier of MLS keepers in 2021. So with Ivicic kind of showing some of the numbers, it's kind of helped, I think, paper over some of the cracks of the defense. I think one of the challenges that Portland has run into over the past couple of weeks has been that their preferred starting center back pairing, Larry Smabial and Dario Zuperich, has proved to be not as steadfast as it was in 2021 or even earlier this season. Um, Mabial in particular has been the target of a lot of uh, frustration from the fans. He's showing maybe his age a little bit, his ability to scramble. He's not quite as sharp in the back 
Um, that has proven to be a challenge for, for Portland. And if you look at some of those goals that they gave up um, against Kansas City on Sunday and also against, uh, particularly in that game, that 4-4 draw at, at Minnesota a few weeks back, a lot of those goals were given up in transition in which Portland had to scramble back towards their goal, which they haven't been very good at this season. Um, if they can get, if teams get ahead of steam and are kind of going at Portland, it's harder for them to close down space get pressure to the ball, get pressure on attackers in the box. And that produces more and more scoring opportunities and you can't keep, can't keep them all out. So I think it, it's kind of proven to be that the guys that maybe you could have relied on or leaned on a little bit more, haven't been as consistent as maybe, you know, you wanted it to seem. And because of that inconsistency, it's hard to build a, a stable sending uh, a stable back line with a consistent pair of center backs you know, clear roles and kind of helping to build the chemistry that way. So again, that's kind of really not been found uh, for the Timbers yet this season. And all that said, it's not like the season has completely fallen apart either. Uh, what has gone right for uh, the Timbers? How have they managed to, you know, stay with the pace of the, of uh, the playoff? I think I think a big part of it is they finally found consistent contributors on, on the offensive side of the, of the ball, I mean, particularly, Eric Williamson is when he's healthy and he's on the field, he's one of like, he is a game changer for, for Portland, his ability to, you know, change kind of the direction of the tilt of the field control defenses and like release other players. Um, he, he has proven more often than not to be the main difference maker for the Timbers this year. Um, he didn't look very good on Sunday. Then again, nobody really did for the Timbers for, for the first half. Um, but the fact that he is healthy and, you know, he started on Sunday, he'll probably start on Friday is, is a big plus for them. In addition to him, Santiago, Santiago Moreno is kind of, you know, finally having his big breakout, I think in MLS, he's got five goals on the season. Um, you know, I think if you watched him play week in and week out, you can see the talent was there. So those who did that weren't necessarily, weren't necessarily surprised at him kind of finally coming good and kind of showing that. Okay, he can be that he can show that bit of quality in the final third. Um, now he has the numbers to kind of back that up. He's kind of backing up the eye test with being kind of like that big difference maker and showing that he can be one of those main playmaking threats for the Timbers. There's a reason that he's been one of the more consistent starters over this most recent run where they had where they went unbeaten in 10 before kind of, you know, these last two losses. He's been a starter and the team has looked better with him on the field. Um, a big difference is Yaroslav Goda is also scoring again. At least he was. <laughs> he hasn't scored in his past four games, but he was starting to find opportunities to score um, goals. He, he scored against the last time these two teams played, and he, he's been finding better spots. Now, recently, he's gotten a little bit more anonymous, and I think the fact that Portland is very thin on the front line now, now that Felipe Mora is out for the season due to uh, surgery to correct um, an injury that didn't quite fully heal um, from uh, earlier this season um, has kind of put a little more pressure on him to, to score. And we've seen when he's not firing, when he's not finding the back of the net, it has a knock-on effect where it makes it harder for a lot of other players to kind of find space. So that's kind of been, if you want to look at one of the big differences, you know, Portland hasn't been scoring enough over the past few games. They've Since that Minnesota game, they've only scored, you know, I think, four goals and four goal games. So one game. goal a game. Yeah. 
So it's that again is having a knock on effect where it's making it harder for Portland to put pressure on other teams, making it harder for them to defend and transition. Just, you know, that's kind of been the story of Portland's season is offensive inefficacy has led to defensive frailty and not being able to defend well, you know, if they're on the back foot um, as well as they have been in seasons past. So all of this is sort of happening uh, with, Another with with the undercurrent sort of of what's going on with the front office, uh, which hasn't necessarily been front and center as much this year. Uh, but we did just see this report that came out in the Oregonian that sort of talked about the, I, I guess the office practices is maybe the the best way of putting yeah, it. Like of the, just sort the of workplace culture. The workplace. There you go. The yeah. workplace culture at the Timbers, and and I think you know uh, the headline may have overstated the degree to which there was some sort of like smoking gun in the story. I, I thought it was the story of maybe a, uh, a workplace. I don't think I would want to work, uh, but no allegations of illegality, nothing that rises to the level of, of, of truly being um, problematic the way that some of these other stories uh, recently have come out. And I guess the question I have is, does do you get the sense that any of this weighs on the players at all, or is this something where they sort of compartmentalize it? They you know put it aside. You know, I did I did find it interesting that there was a line recently from Gavin Wilkinson about how uh, he kind of su- suggested that Diego Valeri and some other uh, veteran players had actually uh, urged them not to. Uh, why am I blanking on his name? And Andy uh, Polo, which yeah, had uh, yes, not to, that... a- Andy Polo. And then, and yeah. then uh, uh, Valeri came out and was like, I, this is not a, an accurate depiction of what happened. I mean, he also, he wasn't even there. That was after he had already left the <laughs> to go back to the news. So it was very quickly. There was that initially did kind of raise some eyebrows like, wait, what? And then people are like, Valeri wasn't even around for the off season. <laughs> so, Make make of that what you will for what what the reasons behind that comment. I, I think it's it, it really does. I think reinforce like like you said, right? Like there isn't anything in there that's kind of like they broke this rule or they broke right. this law, and that really had been has been the story of kind of this now basically entire season of kind of anger and frustration towards the front office. Um, the basic general sentiment among the fan base is that. They haven't felt like the response to initially the Paul Riley story from last fall and then the Andy Polo situation and story from the winter. The response from the powers that be in the front office hasn't been sufficient for much uh, for large segments of the fan base. And this story kind of just reinforced kind of a lot of what folks have kind of already been believing, you know, when, when you hear when you're hearing reports and stories of how much of the much of kind of the the training of the sensitivity training is self-guided and it doesn't seem like there's a a ton of um you know tangible things to being able to point to as being done to help address some of the issues that were raised in in the piece um it, it causes fans to turn off from the club i think you're seeing right now right with the push across the entire league for renewal of season tickets season ticket holders reaching out to them you're seeing a greater and greater segment at least vocalizing again you i'm not exactly sure if that's a greater number but you're seeing more and more people vocalizing that they're not as excited about renewing their season tickets and showing up to it 
So yeah, and, the, anecdotally, I, I get, you know, I, I guess I'm on the mailing list because I've been to a, I've been to some away games, but I I've been surprised at how many emails I've gotten as like a, you know, one or two time ticket buyer saying like, hey, come buy tickets, which that's, to me just suggests that there's much more inventory out there than there has been in the past. And that's been unheard of for a home game at Providence Park. This is the same team that had a waiting list that was like like thousands long. At when you know during the, the mid 2010s to get onto season tickets um so you're seeing a little bit of it you're seeing kind of that apathy kind of you know creep through now to your question about whether that's impacting the players i i think it's impossible not to notice it it's impossible not to read it's impossible not to see the impact that it's having on the fan base um you know an example there was i believe it was 2019 the, the game when the Iron Front debate was happening with the front offices. And that was when the uh, Timbers Army stayed silent for the first 33 minutes. And I believe Seattle scored during that time. Um, and, you know, I, afterwards, I think there was kind of a general sentiment of didn't feel like a home game at Providence Park. The Timbers, the, the players didn't feel like it did not feel the same kind of like energy or kind of, you know, home field advantage that they are accustomed to. Um, while it has not reached that levels yet, I'm not sure if it will, it might, but um, I think there is kind of an impact of your hearing, maybe just like the, the, that little dip, that, that maybe little drop in energy. I think it's impossible for a player not to know it. Um, you know, is there a tangible difference between like, you know, maybe a couple thousand, a couple hundred open seats in Providence Park? Maybe. Um, but I think it's it's just been in this season that it seems like it's always been one thing after the other, after the other, it's just another thing, another mm-hmm. thing that's kind of coming up. That's impacting how the team is viewed. That's impacting just kind of like the general atmosphere around the team. You know, if you contrast it with the unbeaten run that Portland went on in 2021, a lot of positivity around the team, a lot of like positive feelings and attitudes around it. And I'm sure that played out onto the field. Mm-hmm. Um, this season has really kind of crystallized for me how the Timbers under they've kind of adopted the the attitude of Giovanni Savarese as they are a very kind of emotionally driven team. They kind of thrive off of momentum and, you know, kind of like that, like it, it really is more emotional and mental than it is kind of anything tactically kind of happening on the field. You saw that play out a little bit on Sunday with first half, they did not show any urgency or energy and they got, you know, they let in three goals. Second half, they came out with a lot more determination there wasn't anything per se tactically they shifted the formation a little bit but you saw them come out with more assertiveness just because I think Zabarice probably laid into them a little bit at halftime and then they came out with you know a little more energy so they live off of energy and if the energy is off then that has a cascading effect with a lot of different things kind of in in the club and on the field I don't know how much of a sense you would have of this but but do you get any sense that the, the front office is is uh, feeling this in a way other than saying like this is sort of a storm that's going to pass if we just sort of like wait it out or is there a sense that like no maybe maybe there are maybe we do need to make some changes I think what you're based upon like the statements and kind of like some of like the public comments that have been made from the front office I think their kind of preferred scenario is kind of what you described is that this is a storm that will eventually blow over that they're, I guess, kind of hoping on fans seeing that, Hey, this is, is what we're doing. This is enough. And then kind of that being enough for them to drop 
some of their grievances and kind of come mm-hmm. back around. Um, and it's worth pointing out that not all of the Timbers fan base feels the same level of, of sure. animosity or frustration towards the front office. There still are, you know, 20,000 plus coming to games who, you know, have kind of felt that at least they can stomach that. And there is a large segment of the fan base that for them, the only kind of true amelioration is if wholesale changes with Merrick Paulson selling the team with Mike Golub leaving, even with Gavin Wilkinson stepping down from his position. Um, so from everything that the front office has kind of said publicly, it does not seem like they are seriously considering that. Knowing Merritt Paulson as an owner, he is determined and he is passionate and he is stubborn, sometimes to a fault. Um, and so the odds that he willingly steps down from his role to, to sell the team, <laughs> in, in my opinion, is pretty low. Yeah, that, that <laughs> one feels pretty unlikely to me, too. So it, it, it's, it, you know, the question is like, when's the other shoe going to drop? What What is it going to be when it comes to kind of what, what is the family's? I'm I'm honestly not sure. We might be in kind of this holding pattern for a bit of where there's the segment that is still extremely frustrated towards the front office. And then they just kind of ride it out. And then there's enough fans that maybe aren't at that same level or aren't at that same point that are still going to games and then they can kind of have enough to kind of ride it out. Um, I think it'll be a question of, you know, when Gavin Wilkinson's contract comes up, I believe they just signed it to an extension in 2019 or 2020. Um, when his contract runs out, maybe what happens there, um, you know, they have Ned Grabavoy on staff. He's been kind of viewed as one of the stronger, maybe number twos, quote unquote, in, mm-hmm. in MLS, as far as when you go to like soccer executives, um, what's going to happen with him, what's going to happen with, with Gavin when that runs out. Um, but it, from everything that's been signaled from the front office, it, it seems like their strategy, or at least their, their kind of narrative is meant to be around, you know, demonstrating that, you know, we take these claims seriously. We're trying to show that, you know, we have good people that are going to, you know, say their statements that they're going to back and they're going to try to institute changes and then, you know, bet on that being enough, like that, those kind of statements being enough for folks to see that they can, you know, trust or at least tolerate kind of the front office again. Well, Sam, that's probably a good place to end this. As always, uh, I imagine this is going to be a memorable match, uh, whether or not it's 23,000 or 26,000 in attendance. Uh, you know, I don't know what I, I would imagine. It's, it's probably a, this is gonna be a sellout anyway, right? I, probably. I mean, even between two, like I'm sure there's probably a decent contingent of Seattle fans coming down, right? As well, like between that and everything. And a game like this, right? Like there's a reality in which for both teams, right? Like this could be the season. Like obviously the playoff race is long. There's still, you know, anywhere from seven to eight, nine games left for, for the respective teams. And, you know, nothing is ever decided until the playoffs sure. actually but start. you can see this being a, a a jumping i mean for sure this catapulting one of these you teams you could see thinking it, it exactly you could see it be pointing as just the moment as this is when either the bottom finally dropped out or when they finally kind of started going up the field and you know it could also have the reverse effect like portland lost six two at home last year and then yeah turn things around <laughs> and swing. so again you never know like mls is crazy it this sure is, is the race for the playoffs is is as crazy as it's ever been this year. 
put, put that all into the pressure cooker with the Cascadia Cup with Portland versus Seattle with all of that happening on Friday. Yeah, I think it's sure to be a, another good one. Well, uh, Sam, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, always read uh, Sam's stuff over at Stumptown Footy. Follow him on Twitter. Uh, what is the the Twitter handle you wanna you want people to follow you at? Uh, it's at Samich923, S-A-M-M-I-C-H-923. <laughs> yeah, so. Fair enough. All right. Well, uh, good talking to you again, Sam. And uh, let's hope for a good game. And uh, we'll probably talk to you again soon enough. Yeah, thanks for having me back on. All right.